On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, a.k.a. Menas. And in this edition of the podcast, I'm going to be catching up with News Corp's chief cricket writer, Ben Horn and Sydney Thunder's leg-spinning star, Farward Ahmed. But let's start with the big test team announcement. Australia have announced their test squad to play Sri Lanka. Some big changes. Um, out go Sean Marsh, Mitch Marsh, Peter Hanscom and Aaron Finch. In come Joe Burns, Matt Renshaw and Will Pekofsky. Um, So let's now hear from Chairman of Selectors Trevor Hones, who spoke to the media at the Sydney Cricket Ground. So let's hear from Trevor Hones. Then I'll be back with Ben Horn from News Corp. Right, thanks everyone for for being here. Um, No doubt it's been a tough couple of weeks for for everybody. You know, after a, a very, very good and gutsy win in Perth, obviously our performance deteriorated to the extent where We've now found it, found it necessary to revamp our test squad for the series against Sri Lanka coming up very soon. There, there's no doubt that our players and, and everybody concerned is trying to work very, very hard to do better in, in all facets of the game. Uh, there's no doubt people in Cricket Australia everywhere uh, are listening and trying to do better and, and make things the way they should be for cricket in this country. Will is, is a very exciting young player, of course, and has been on the radar ever since uh, the under-19 pathways. He, he excelled there. Uh, his performances in, in Sheffield Shield cricket when he has played has, has, have been outstanding. There's no doubt about that. We obviously uh, check on our players these days. We, we get uh, reports, whether it's Will or whether it's anybody else, uh, medical reports, and, and all reports are that he's fine, fit and available to play if required. Yeah, well, well, Sean certainly um, hasn't done what we would like him to have done over the last period, of course, and, and I'm sure he he would say the same thing. Uh, as far as the Ashes goes, that's a little way off. He now has an opportunity in one-day cricket to get some form back, and then we'll, we'll worry about that when the time comes. But the door is certainly not closed. Obviously, we're looking now, after the Indian series, to, to shore up our top order. There, there can be no doubts. And as Justin Langer quite rightly points out, that's the, that's the engine room. You know, we, we need that to be strong if we possibly can. So uh, Joe Burns has a, a record in Test cricket. He's scored hundreds. There's no doubt about that. And he has been in good form leading up to uh, when the Big Bash started, of course. Matt Renshaw, on the other hand, is a very, very highly regarded young player. We know he can score a lot of runs. He, he's done that in Test cricket. He scored a lot of runs in England when he went over there playing county cricket. And of course, you know, with the Ashes in mind, we thought it was an appropriate time now to get him back and in around the group with a view to looking forward. 
the fast bowlers, you know, there's probably been some conjecture about that over the series, but they are definitely our, our best three fast bowlers. I don't think anybody would argue that. Whether they're the best unit and operating as the best unit at the moment, I'm sure there's some improvement that can be had there as well. But with Matthew Wade, uh, it's fantastic that he's scoring a lot of runs. It wasn't long ago that he was in our test test squad, he struggled and, and, and we obviously dropped him. He was wicket-keeping at that stage. He's playing as a wicket-keeper batsman for for Tasmania and it just so happens we have a wicket-keeper batsman in, a, in our test match side right now and that's Tim Payne who is the captain. It is, as I suggested, it's great to see Matthew scoring some runs but if Matthew wants to be considered as a straight-out batsman it would be nice to see him batting up a little bit higher for Tasmania and that conversation has been had. Yeah, well, with the communication thing, I would like to clarify that if I, if I possibly could. I won't get into individual cases, of course, but uh, the procedure is, of course, when when we select a side, uh, players are notified by myself. This is this is one of the notified whether they're in, and those that have been left out of of the previous team or, or squad get notified. They are given a reason. It, it may well be two, three lines, or what have you because I'm up front and, and say the truth. So from there, if there is any further clarity required, we encourage them to either call me back or ask for, ask for another meeting, etc., etc., so we can go through it again. We also in, encourage all the, the state coaches to encourage their players to, to give me a call if they want some feedback, give a coach, you know, the coach a call if they want some feedback, etc, etc. So there's an open line of communication. It's their careers, so if they're unclear about anything, we'd like to think that they can get some clarity if they want and take some ownership of their careers. The state talent managers as well are encouraged to encourage the players to, to give us a call, as is the, the chairman of selectors from their respective states. So there's an open line of communication. People are always told why they've been left out so there, there can be no misunderstanding whatsoever sometimes obviously players are disappointed there's no doubt about that uh, and sometimes they they may understand they may not but then there is that op- open line where they can always get clarity if they wish and, and we do speak to them on a regular basis yeah sure o- obviously we take into account um the now, of course, you know, it's very important to us. And, and if we're picking a, a squad or what have you, we, we also take into account where they may fit in, where they may not, or where they might even fit in down the, down the track. And that's very important to us too, because that's part of our, our charter, is to take care of now, but also take care of the future. And, and that, that keeps things rolling along nicely. Uh, we do look at, obviously, we have access to facts and figures etc etc but we, we look at that we look at what type of player we might need for certain conditions what type of player we might need to fill a certain position so we, we certainly look at all, all of those sort of things uh, and from there we we have a look at what we've got we then come up with what we consider and, and I say we consider to be an informed decision that's always a discussion point there's no doubt about it whether we got it right whether we got it wrong that's up to to you people to to judge us on we always review what we do we always always consider maybe we could have done that maybe we could have done something a little bit better but uh, at the time when we chose the side we were convinced they were the best players to represent Australia at that time. Men has lost. Trevor, um, England have had great success bringing a few younger faces into the selection panel. Sure. Do you think it's something that you should consider in bringing some players, either recently retired or 
more contemporary experience to help with some of the thought processes? Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. that. That is a thought. And look, everything's under review at the moment. There's no, no doubt about that. Administrators are under review, coaching is under review, the high performance people are under review, selectors are under review. What the right system is, you know, and I think right now we've got, it's the right time to try to get things absolutely spot on if, if we can and, and anything's open for review, there's no doubt about that and if, and if the selection panel can be better or if we can do better things better, very open to it. Well, that was Chairman of Selectors Trevor Hones talking there after the announcement of the Test Squad versus Sri Lanka. Lots of big news to come out of this one. And joining me to dissect it, I have on the line News Corp's chief cricket writer, Ben Horn. Ben, big day for the selectors. It was. It felt like they were on trial with as much as the players that they've picked uh, this summer. And uh, a lot of questions to be answered. Uh, Trevor Hones was asked about a range of things. Uh, obviously, the, the specific players that have been um, picked and left out of this squad, but also about how he communicates with players and uh, and the, the strategies that the selectors go about picking teams. So it was sort of all laid out there on the table. News doesn't get much better for guys like Glenn Maxwell and Matt Wade, but uh, but there was some strong explanation for that. Yeah, just the last question that I managed to get in, in there with Trevor Hones asking them, about the sort of structure of the selection panel and whether they should look at getting younger. He did say that everything's up for review and my impression of, of what Kevin Roberts has done since he's taken over at Cricket Australia is he's, he's sort of working through everything and making changes where he sees fit. And, and I, I can imagine him when the high performance manager comes in trying to restructure the selection panel. Possibly, yeah. I mean, that won't be decided until they come up with the high-performance person, but uh, that, you would think, would be happening in the next uh, next couple of weeks, next few weeks. So, yeah, look, it's an interesting uh, topic of conversation. I know some people think that there shouldn't be selectors at all and it should just be the coach making all those calls, but um, that probably seems unlikely. There's uh, a lot of responsibility, you know, in, in cricket. It's not a football team. Uh, you've got state players all around the country. Um, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, look, um, there's probably tweaks that they can come up with. As you pointed out, uh, England looks to have benefited from getting a couple of young guys. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't make Langer the only selector. I think that's a recipe for disaster. But, look, let's look at this uh, squad here. So, out from the final test against India goes Sean Marsh, Mitchell Marsh, Peter Hanscom and Aaron Finch. They're all gone from the squad. And in comes Burns, Renshaw and Will Pekofsky. Lobuchain stays and so does Australia's bowling attack. Siddles, the spare bowler. Well, let's start with Will Pekofsky. He's only played eight first-class games, averaging 49, two big centuries. They've taken a real punt here, but someone that's uh, predicted to be one of the brightest talents in Australian cricket. Yeah, it, it is a it is a risk just for any, picking any young player who's played that fewer games. He's only played eight matches over the course of about three seasons, so that in itself is a risk. There's some personal issues that have kept him out of cricket as well. So that's um, that's another thing that yeah that needs to yeah that that I guess they've considered and uh, and they will continue to consider when it comes to assembling the test side, but uh, he has played a shield game since his break from the game, and um, you know, it's hard to argue with it's a selection that sort of gives the fans a real buzz, I guess. Yeah, and uh, I mean, people have pointed out, you know, Warren McGrath, 
Ponting. I mean, they came in having not played a lot of first-class cricket and were given a go. So there is precedent for it. And I guess with Smith and Warner coming back, it gives you a chance to maybe give him a, a taste of test cricket. And if it doesn't, if it looks like he's not quite ready, well, it's, he can sort of go away and, and work on his game. Yeah, well, look, to be fair to the selectors, I think um, they they probably would have picked him for the Indian series um, had he not had the, the uh, setback, which um, he's opened up about today. So, look, he's someone that they've had in the pipeline. And, look, I, I think that this is a good way to deal with the absence of Smith and Warner. If, you know, flooding a, a guy that you think can be a, uh, a future superstar, like, I, I like it, to be honest. And, Same. Um, yeah, I think you know. Yeah, I think he's got a great chance to to do well. And he's averaging almost fifty in his eight games. So if you're going to give anybody a go, he deserves it as much as anybody. Yeah, well, I think he'd done enough with that double hundred start of the Shield season. Uh, that was enough, I think, for the selectors to know they had uh, something someone pretty special on their hands. So um, you know, it's uh, it's it's an exciting time, and it's a good way to kind of. You know, reset, I suppose, after the disappointment of what happened against India. And you've been on the Joe Burns bandwagon for a while now. Thousand runs in his last 10 Shield matches. Great to see him back in the squad. Yeah, look, um, I think the squad has a bit for everyone, doesn't it? You know, the Koski selection is for the, you know, it's for the fans who, you know, just want that, who's the next big thing in Australian cricket. Uh, Joe Burns is there for all the, the true believers in Shield cricket land. You know, he's been the best Shield player now for a couple of seasons. And the third player, Matt Renshaw, is the guy that's there with the, you know, with an eye to the ashes. Uh, obviously, the big thing that's coming up on the Test cricket agenda for Australia. So I think, you know, in their own way, even though there is still some lingering questions, I suppose, about why certain players weren't picked for India and, and, and now, and instead now. Uh, I think they have sort of ticked a couple of boxes with players they've picked in this spot. Mm, so Matt Renshaw comes in. I sort of was trying to think of, do you think they could somehow get Harris, Renshaw and Burns in the same team? Or do you think one of them will have to miss out? I think one of them will miss out. But um, I suppose we, you know, all three of them are playing the tour game against Sri Lanka and Hergat. So... You know, the runs, runs there could be somewhat telling, but my gut feel would be Pekoski is playing um, because I just think a selection like that, you just pick you just pick guys like that if, you, if you're going to go with them at all. Uh, and Burns and Renshaw both being openers, I think one of them will play and one will miss out. So you'd what, have um, Harris and then either Burns or Renshaw. Kawaja, three. Four's a question mark. I guess five would be head, six Pekoski. Is that the sort of way you're reading it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know about the order of things. I mean, uh, they did chuck Marnus in at number three for the last test. So if they if they think that Pekovsky's good enough to be in the side, they may well think he's good enough to bat um, closer to his normal position, which is at the top of the order. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. They've got a few options there anyway. But um, I think Travis Head's probably a pretty safe bet at five or six. And then um, depending on, on which way they want to go, maybe Marnus or Pekovsky at four. Yeah, I've... Um often thought that Joe Burns actually would be quite suited to the middle order in test cricket. I know he opens for Queensland, but he did make his debut at six for Australia, scored a couple of 50s there. And, you know, if you had someone like Burns at four, then if you lost a couple of early wickets and your middle order is exposed to the new ball, well, Burns is adept at doing that. So I think if anyone could bat in the middle order, it could be Burns from the, the three openers. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, I mean, that is a consideration that they'll make. I mean, I think the thing with Matt Renshaw with regards to this series is if he doesn't make runs in the tour game against Sri Lanka, it's very hard to pick him because he has no form line at all um, this season. Um, and I, I don't disagree with him being there, as in I think he should have probably got picked in the UAE late last year. So uh, sliding doors moment for him there. But without runs in the tour game... I, I'm not sure whether he can just be catapulted back into the side. Mm. So I think, look, a good selection. Some people that left out, Trevor Holmes talked about Matty Wade uh, batting too low for Tasmania to be considered as a a specialist batsman and said he'd like to see him batting up the top of the order. So we might see at sort of back end of the shield, Wade put himself at, you know, three or four for Tasmania. Yeah, I I guess so. I mean, that's going to be his only chance. It looks like the push for the Ashes. Yeah, look, you'd be disappointed if you were Matt Wade and, and Glenn Maxwell because the, the explanations they got, I guess, fair enough from the selectors' point of view that that's the reasons why they were left out, but I think it'd be hard for those two players to stomach. You know, Wade's a guy who bats probably on the toughest pitch in Australia in Hobart. Ball does a lot. Scores there this year have been pretty low and he's, he's playing in a Tasmanian side that's often, you know, three or four wickets down quite quickly. So, the runs that he's scored this, this season have, for all intents and purposes, really been as if he's been batting um, at the top of the order. And then Glenn Maxwell, you've got, uh, you know, he's been told that they want him to concentrate on white ball cricket in the lead up to the World Cup. But he's a guy, one of the few guys in Australian cricket who averages over 40 in first class cricket. You know, there's other guys who are mixing between the two formats. For some reason, he's not seen as one of the guys that's capable of doing that. So, you know, for Glenn Maxwell, I'm not sure whether he, you know, I don't know what his chances are of playing test cricket, but they've taken a pretty big knock today, I would have thought. Yeah, they certainly have. Uh, and he's in a tough situation because he, you know, misses a lot of Shield matches because of his Australian white ball commitment. So, you know, he might play one or two Shield matches and he's probably thinking, oh, I better score 100 here. And if he misses out, it's, it's just a lot of pressure on him. But what, what else are your takeaways from the, I guess, the selection and Trevor Hones's, uh press conference? Well, I think that you know there's an acknowledgement that maybe there was some mistakes made at the start of the summer, both from selectors and also from the players themselves. You know, players were given opportunities and didn't take them. But I mean, Trevor Holmes didn't didn't say this. Um, he, he was happy to leave it to people like you and I to um, to decide. But perhaps a couple of the punts that the selectors took, you know, with um, Aaron Finch at the top of the order and Peter Hanscom playing Test cricket uh, on, on um, pitches where he's push back in the crease. Perhaps a few things like that didn't didn't come off and you know, we've seen a bit of a change of strategy. I guess the other big one is Mitch Marsh gone and no all rounder to replace him. So Australia sees um, that they're better off at the moment. If there's no all rounder that's obvious uh, screaming out to be picked just pick six batsmen. Yeah, I agree with that. So, uh, well, let's. Uh, I haven't spoken to you since Australia lost the Test Series to India, or India won their first ever Test Series on Australian soil. And I, I walked away from the SCG, Ben, thinking that this Indian side was one of the most complete teams that we've seen in Australia for a long time. Batting, fast bowling, quality spin. They just had it all, and they were deserving winners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were excellent in every department, and they... Executed the, the way they came back in the third test in Melbourne deserved to win. Um, you know that was a pretty crushing loss in Perth, and you know a lot of a lot of international teams would have crumbled under under that disappointment because uh, it did look like they just sort of gone back to square one. But they made some bold selection decisions, particularly Agarwal being picked to open the batting. 
Uh, big call to drop two openers and, and pick a, a debutant to open at the MCG. You know, so they were rewarded for backing themselves in. And, um, you know, there was, Australia will kick themselves over that Adelaide test. But, um, you know, overall, I think... I think the best side won. Yeah, and uh, it just seemed to me a really enormous moment in world history that, uh, world cricket history, I should say, that, you know, an Asian team would win in Australia, maybe world history as well, but an Asian cricket team winning in Australia never been done before. And I just wonder if now it sort of opens the floodgates a bit and other ta- other Asian side will come, will, will come here with a bit more confidence. Possibly, but I don't think the kind of talent that India has at their disposal. I mean, you know, they've they've come here because they've got some serious players in that lineup. I mean, Bumrah might already be the best fast bowler in world cricket. You know, Virat Kohli's the best batsman. Uh, Pajara was outstanding. So, you know, I guess they've they've shown it can be done, but you'd need a serious side, I think, to to actually execute. And you know, I guess yeah, the theory will be put to the test. In a couple of weeks when uh, Sri Lanka start up. Yeah, I just think they could be a little bit more of a handful, but we'll see. We'll see about that one. Just uh, on the conclusion of the Test Series, we, we saw a fascinating press conference with Virat Kohli and Ravi Shastri speaking after the series. I thought Virat Kohli was very well spoken and quite magnanimous in his uh, sort of words after the game. Yeah, he was, yeah. No, he, um, you know, he played down, I suppose, at all beforehand, but he was admitting that it was, you know, his biggest moment in his career, essentially. You know, and, and you know, it was a 12-month project. They made that clear, and that's the kind of task that I guess Australia is looking at in England this year. You know, that, that, those, those series, if you win them overseas, they're not sort of just the six weeks that you're there. It's the, it's the months and years beforehand. So Australia's plans have been thrown into chaos to a large extent because of what's happened with Smith and Warner, but they're trying to rewrite the ship and they've got about nine games against county teams uh, in the lead up although it'll be the Australian side without the, the one day players who'll be playing the World Cup at that time but you know look there is a push to try and you know give these guys as much practice as possible in English condition. Yeah well uh, and Ravi Shastri the Indian coach he was pretty pretty belligerent after the series victory I think uh, yeah it was just seemed over the moon to have won a series here as coach. Yeah, well, pretty true to his personality, I guess. He's um, he's a uh, bit of a character, and yeah, a few. I think uh, people had mixed feelings about him being as a presser and uh, potentially taking the spotlight away a little bit from uh, from Virat Kohli. But um, yeah, good luck to him. He's um, he's obviously got his critics back in India, and um, it was his chance to stick it up him, I guess. Yeah, I don't mind that. I like him coming out and having a bit of personality and making wild, crazy statements about bullets flying into the ocean. I think it's great. You know, we want personalities and sometimes you can't complain when someone might go a bit far. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think, um, oh, yeah, it was entertaining, wasn't it? I mean, whether or not it was the right occasion for him to be speaking, um, but, yeah, yeah, it was good for us anyway. A few quotes to uh, fill up the page. Yeah, all right. So, Benny, I'll let you go. But before you do, let's just have a quick look at this Australia v India three match one day series. I guess the the main interest goes around the changes that they've made with this team. I mean, it seems like the ODI and the Test teams they had serious sort of chats about the structure, and they've they've axed Travis Head, Darcy Short, and Chris Lynn, and in come Usman Khawaja and Peter Hanscom and Mitch Marsh. So yeah, a lot of players axed from the Test side, but are, are coming to the one day side. What do you make of that? More than anything, it's an acknowledgement that the um that 
Australia have the wrong style in one-day cricket. It's really an acknowledgement that the game plan was wrong rather than the players uh, individually that have been dropped, I think. Um, they've picked guys now who uh, aren't as explosive, don't necessarily hit uh, sixes for a living. They're more likely to be able to turn the ball, turn the strike over, uh, get some rhythm back into the innings. So I like it from that point of view. But look, there's some smart judges out there that also think that um, perhaps this site doesn't have enough power to, to win a World Cup. Dave Warner will come back in there uh, at some point. But uh, yeah, people who are more adept um, at the, the one-day game than, than me yeah, think that scores of 320 to 350 are going to be a bare minimum over there in England to win the World Cup. And, um, you know, the question will be whether the side that's been picked has the power to do that. But I certainly think that that now at the 50 overs, which... Um, is something that um, Australia hasn't been able to do. So, you know, they're sort of in a position where they needed to kind of rebuild. So I think this is a good rebuilding side, and then uh, we might see some more tinkering before the World Cup. I'm glad they've kept Glenn Maxwell in there. I thought the way things were going with his one-day performances and they, they dropped him down the order, he might be in trouble. But I think they, they see him as that power-hitting option, and he was excellent in the during the last World Cup at finishing off innings, so perhaps they've got they've got an eye to keeping him in that role. Yeah, I think um, failed in his mission to turn himself into kind of a number four batsman uh, and having more responsibility in the side. And he's, he's if anything, he's dropped back to being a, a number seven. So it's lower down than he was batting during the last World Cup. But yeah, he still has skills that basically no one else in Australian cricket has. And uh, as you said, he, he is a proven World Cup performer. So, yeah, look, um, I think his role is probably different to what he was perhaps envisaging a year or so ago. Like, perhaps he, he would have um, taken on more responsibility. But, yeah, he might be more in the James Faulkner mould from the last World Cup of, um, yeah, just coming in and, and, and bashing it. Yeah. So they've got Stoinis and Mitch Marsh. And then they've gone four bowlers and they're resting the big three of Hazelwood, Stark and Cummins. They've got Jai Richardson, Stan Lake, Jason Berendorf and Peter Siddle. And I would sort of think those four are in a little bit of a shootout for World Cup spots. I mean, if if you can have a good series against India, you, you could sort of pencil your name in for the World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, we're into now the last handful of games until the World Cup's on. So every performance now is going to be crucial. So... Every time they pick a squad, it's you know whoever misses out, it's it's pretty pretty alarming. I would say. I mean, um, you know, these guys like Short and Travis Head. To be honest, it, it, it's going to be a tough ask for them to get back at all now because when you consider Dave Warner and Steve Smith have got to come back in um, as it is, so very difficult for anyone who's left out of this side to, to get their way back in. Yeah, and uh, from where I'm sitting, you know. I... If Australia even make the World Cup semi-finals, they've done well because this team is a mess. So let's just see the countdown's on. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, I'd be more worried about where Australia's at in test cricket. And one-day cricket, I know it looks bad, but um, we, the one-day, I think if you can get things to click, you can turn things around a lot quicker than you can with uh, with your test set up. So Australia's a million miles from it at the moment. But, you know, change in style, addition of Warner and Smith, you know, tournament play is, is different to, to a series or anything like that. You can sort of get on a bit of a roll. So, yeah, they, they don't look um, anywhere near it at the moment. But, you know, funny things happen in, in World Cups. Well, Ben, that's a lovely positive note to end our chat on. And uh, you're about to go on a little bit of a cricket break. So 
Go and enjoy yourself. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming back on the podcast. You've been a gun all through the test series, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, man. Let's take care. Great stuff as always there from Ben Horn. You can catch up with all his writing at the dailytelegraph.com.au slash sport slash cricket. Alrighty, so after the break, a feature interview with Sydney Thunder's leg spinning star Farwood Ahmed. Whereas Farwood is looping it and dropping it. He's got that one through, clear. He certainly has. Finger went up immediately. And the second blow for the home side. Well, that was a, that was the loop. It, it, I think it just went on with the arm, but it was the trage from forward Ahmed that's done the trick here. Down and through back pad, middle and off. Farwood has his first. Isn't he clever, this fellow? All right, joining me on the line now, I have Sydney Thunder and Victorian leg spinner Farwood Ahmed. Farwood, how are you? I'm pretty good, Matt. Thanks yourself. Yeah, I'm really good, and thanks for coming on the podcast. I um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, just sort of take a step back, and maybe some of the listeners don't know how you came to to play in Australia. So, how long ago did you uh, immigrate to Australia? Uh, it's almost nine years now. Yeah, it's been nine years. Nine, nine great years for me. I really enjoyed my time here so far. And, uh, yeah, can't complain. It's been, been really nice and having a great life here. Can't complain. Playing cricket, that's what I love. And that's uh, on the bread and butter for me now. So, yeah, I'm, I, can't, I can't be more thankful than this. And I'm really, really uh, grateful and thankful for what, what I have now. And, and what were the circumstances that led you leaving Pakistan? Yeah, it was... Uh, was tough out there, you know, as back in the day. It's been really good now, uh, thanks to God. So, yeah, the, the, the law and order situation was pretty bad and at that time, and they need to just find a, find a safe place. And, yeah, uh, luckily I got to Australia, and, yeah, it did work for me. So I'm pretty happy that I ended up in Australia. And do, do you miss your home at, at all? Yeah, it's um, a lot, I would say, as well. Being growing up in the joint family system and my childhood there and, my friends and my family, my relatives, even even different type of cricket there, you know, with less facilities and you have to make the most out of everything, you know, and it was different, completely different lifestyle there, you know. So it's, it's nothing about you live in third world country or the first world country. It's just where you grew up and where you live, you love it. Definitely, I'm, I'm missing that. So. But guess what? It is what it is, you know, whatever it comes you had to be grateful in whatever situation you are. And in Australia, they say it could be worse, you know. So exactly. It could be worse. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy. Do you, do you have um, much family still back in Pakistan? Yeah, my whole family back there, still there. So they're all back home in, in Pakistan. And, yeah, they, they're living a good life there. And they're pretty happy for me as well. So, yeah, they, they're all back home. Are you able to go back and visit? Yeah, I can. I mean, so everything is all good now. No problem whatsoever, especially since Imran Khan is in, in tower. He's been really, really good. He got a really good like image, and uh, he's been he's been doing really well so far. So hopefully he will continue uh, his good work, and uh, hopefully Pakistan will become a. Uh, a lot better place than uh, what it was back in the day. Yeah, well, he certainly could perform on the field, so if he can do half as well as Prime <laughs> Minister, he should be okay. Now, um, 
Uh, what was it like when you uh, arrived in Australia, trying to sort of integrate into the the cricket community? It was it was pretty tough. And like in a sense, you know, I didn't know anything. Language barrier. I still I'm not feeling any problem, but I'm still pretty bad. I would say in English, so, because I just learned from the you know from the word of mouth, picking mm. words and picking vocabulary or picking you know the tenses. And I don't know actually. Like I haven't much learned about it, you know, it's just happening. So it was tough uh, to find a job and the large start here and it wasn't easy. But, you know, I'm just, like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, I was, when I came here, I'm still young, but I was very young and I, I didn't give up on anything and I worked hard and I tried to find my way that I'm going to do a level job or whatever it is. It was tough because I never worked in my life, but guess what? Uh, I, I went through all the hard times and, you know, they said, it, it pays off and it's definitely worth it. Uh, uh, I was working top level to level job and, and then I have had like, I was training with Hawkers uh, Crossing, with Melbourne Uni, with two trainers by their time and uh, with, uh, with the visitor team, with Australian team. So, yeah, I was doing everything and uh, I just tried to make the most out of it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's worth it. Uh, and uh, But yeah, it is tough. For, it is tough for everyone. Like I would say, there is a story behind, like, every person, you know. It could be maybe a little bit less interesting for some people and it could be more interesting for people. My story could be nothing to so many people in this world, you know, because they have they don't have any interest in cricket and something like that. So, yeah. Mm, that's true. Um, it, was, it was tough. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's tough for everyone. Because I know, like, you know, sometimes the cricket community can be a little bit hard to sort of crack or, or penetrate. You know, are there any sort of cricketers that sort of particularly helped you and welcomed you into the system? Yeah, 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 yeah. The cricket, the cricket was, uh, was uh, the, main, the main ladder for me to, to, to change myself or to, to get into the system. You know, like, it was tough even they didn't accept my whatever I have done in Pakistan back in the days, but regarding cricket but I had a good good support from Hopper Crossing Cricket Club is a community cricket club. They they pay me a little bit money and they they, they try to find me a job but and then Melbourne Uni was the was the main uh, source of getting my residency and citizenship and, and the best the sole cricket as well so to play cricket and to perform well and to play for Victoria and then play for Australia. So definitely and what I am now there's a lot of people. It's not only one person journey. A lot of people helping out there in this in this particular cause. There. And in the sort of eight nine years you've been in Australia, have you noticed a, a sort of shift in attitudes from Australians or the people that you encounter uh, towards uh, immigrants from other cultures? I don't know. It's, it's going to be always like this, you know, mix mixing. Like Melbourne and Sydney has been really great. They're very multicultural. They're bigger cities, you know, everyone knows, and people are pretty used to it now, you know. But some of the countryside people are not used to it, and it's, it's tough for them to accept it. But this is how the the lives goes on, you know. Like there's 7.5 billion people now in this world, and, and it's going to be, you, you will see a lot of multiculturalism, especially in a country like Australia, where we are the, there's so many, so many, so much, like it's such a big country and such little people amount of little people living here in this country. So it's only 22, 23 million people living here in this country. It's going to be a lot of... And it's going to grow up with the time, you know. And like, look, if you go to the cities, you know, these days, is, is there is no... 
even the traffic wise if you go to melbourne city there is no weekend so on the weekend it's, it's still busy and it's different like it's sometimes it's good and it depends where you are you know where where i'm in my in my area i'm getting really good welcome from the people and uh, i have a lot of australian they loves me i love them and they like my family here and i don't have any problems well that's good and uh you know, you're in the middle of the Sydney Thunder Big Bash campaign. You know, it's a longer season now for the Big Bash, and there is talk that it's hard to attract players from overseas. And, you know, when you were playing around the world last year in T20 competitions, what was the uh, feedback you got from other players, and what do you think? Yeah, no, honestly, in that regard, people, and uh, the overseas player didn't want it to come anymore. So they said it's too long. And uh, honestly, it's a less money as well from all the other competition around the world as well. And especially when you live in like a, in a city like Sydney and Melbourne, they one of the most expensive cities in the world as well. So you're gonna live there for two months as well. And what about the tax deduction as well? So you you pay almost forty seven percent tax as well. So these things, these are major problems, and it's too long, too two months. No one wanna play two months cricket one cricket. So you get bored, you know. So hopefully. Hopefully it it collects this year, but if not, Cricket Australia should probably think about it, you know. And we can't we can't say anything right now, but we can say everything after the feedback from the crowd, from the viewers, from the players, from the result, everything all together from revenue, even you know, like from the channels, from the sponsor, from the broadcasters, all these things together, and you can make a, a good decision for the future perfect, you know. So you don't wanna you don't wanna ruin it, you know. I would say it's just not about it's not about cricket. It's not about people. It's not about money. It's not about sponsor anything. It's about everything together. Cricket is summer for us. Cricket, we love cricket. It belongs to someone. It reminds us great days, good old days, golden days. You know, and it's the beauty of summer. So we should be really, really looking after this. This one of the most beautiful game on the planet Earth. So these things are really important. So hopefully, and and. End of the end of the summer, end of the end of the big bash. Hopefully, they will they will thoroughly discuss everything and they will hopefully make a good decision to to grow the game and to improve the game. Obviously, uh, it, you know it's a big thing if if the competition can't get the overseas players to come here because you know you've played all around the world and in different T Twenty competitions and it's great to have a a few sort of international stars in every team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's gonna be tough, you know. Like we still have plenty of good good players, you know. Like we have Joe and Joe, but the thing is that they're not gonna be here for long. Like Joe and Joe going in halfway, and they two years ago would have been they would have been played the whole tournament, you know. So it's something something like those things. You might don't have like a the and then the team combination a little bit getting disturbed, you know. And it's not good for the cricket, not good for the competition. So all all things together. It could be. It could be really tough. So, all I, I say, as I said, you know, let's hope it works, and let's hope if not, let's hope we all get together and make a better decision. Mm, I did hear today that the TV ratings are still very good. So, I guess we'll just see t- in February if the ratings are still as good. You mentioned Joss Butler and Joe Root. What's it been like to play, say, with the English captain Joe Root? Have you been able to talk cricket with him much? Yeah, he's been good. He's been around the group nicely and he's sharing his like experience with the boys and especially all the youngsters and uh, even at the, at the time when he struggled. And he's been really great. 
and they they both really nice and I played for Joe two three years now and but yeah first time with Joe and uh, he's been he's been a great asset for us. All these little bit struggling to make runs, but he's still behind the scene. He's still putting a lot of effort, you know. His training, his attitude, and his work ethic, and and plus his uh, sharing of his experience, a bundle of experience, and he's a smart guy, and that's that's very good for us, especially for the youngster, for the future of Australian and youngsters. They're gonna represent Australia in the future, so. It's good for them as well. Yeah, can you like for Jason Sanger to be able to talk to Joe Root about crickets? Really going to help his development. What about uh, Josh Butler? Is he's charming off the field as he is on the field? Yeah, he's, he's a really nice guy, and he's been uh, he's been really good. So, uh, he's, he's contributing both on and off the field, and he's a he's a gentleman. He's a good guy, and hopefully, hopefully he will continue his performance and. Hopefully, he will continue to, to, to win us a few, couple of more games, hopefully. And, um, yeah, he's, he's been really great. He's been really, really good. Now, Farwood, you've been absolutely on fire in the T20 game for all for a couple of years, but especially in the last year. Have you sort of uh, come up with a sort of strategy or a way you approach bowling in T20 cricket? No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just honestly enjoying, uh, just enjoying my, my game and, uh, just relax and there's no selection kind of uh, uh, there is no selection uh, pressure on me and I'm just enjoying it it's just a body body enjoy and I'm pretty clear minded and I'm getting more into T20 circuits so I'm going to be playing around T20 cricket you know more in the future and less red ball cricket so I'm pretty happy with it So is the plan to try and uh, play in a few more T20 tournaments this year? Yeah uh, hopefully uh, hopefully I will get picked in, the, in the, some some of the good can, carnivals and around the world, and hopefully I will get a good chance. Yeah. All right, well, Farwood, thank you so much for your time and coming on the podcast. It's been a very interesting discussion. I could talk for hours, um, but we'll we'll chat again sometime. No, no worries. Man. Thank you. And that is it for another episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much to Ben Horn and Farwood Ahmed for coming on the show. And I'll be back next week with another podcast. I've been your host, Andrew Mensel. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered and back soon.